It is funny that currently there's AI applications that are just being used to produce 10,000 different dumb lion cartoons. Honestly, the Matrix would be preferable to the NFT future that we seem to be slouching towards. Hello, Mission Recall listeners. It's your hosts, Oriana Schwinn. And Steve Parkers. And we're continuing our Keanu block, which is very exciting. Uh, And we have got one of the movies that started this podcast, basically. It was another one that was an inspiration for the podcast. Um, And though I think it's worth pointing out that this is not just one of the movies. There's three of them. There are are three of them. We're doing a trilogy. Except, so, like... The point of this podcast is 90s action movies, and The Matrix is a 90s action movie, but we are going to discuss The Matrix sequels because that's just kind of part and parcel. Like, you ha- you can't not talk about The Matrix sequels when you're talking about The Matrix. You can, but it, it, it it's just kind of boring because <laughs> it's a very good movie. Yeah, it basically begins and ends with The Matrix. Really good, huh? All right, see you next time. <laughs> well, what's interesting is seeing what carries through to the, like, the Matrix sequels and what doesn't, what it kind of loses in those sequels, uh, even though the ideas are very good. So we'll, def- we'll, we'll be delving into that quite a bit. This makes for a slightly different episode. Yeah, a bit of a you know blockbuster of an episode. It's a big <laughs> three-parter, I guess. Uh, and also, I think it's worth pointing out that part of the reason we're doing this is it's our holiday special uh this is the last episode we'll do before 2022 uh this oh my god i know right so this is sort of like our big send-off for the year and uh, what better way to do that than with uh the matrix and also the matrix resurrections is coming out just a few days after this podcast drops i know i must have seen the trailer at some point but then i was looking at the cast list and like neil patrick harris is in this and steve was like did you they're in the like yeah, Jonathan Groff. Yeah. <laughs> like, who, he's in this? Like, he's in the trailer. He says the name of the movie. I, I think, absolutely, I think I must not have seen the trailer in that case. We talked about it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've been busy. It's been a busy month. That's true. So, yeah, this is all just an exciting, like, capper to the year where it's rare that one of these movies that we talk about has a direct sequel coming out. Yeah, now. we have. Yeah, like, we haven't. I guess uh, Men in Black was kind of the closest that we've come, and Men in Black International came out twenty seventeen, yeah. twenty eighteen, maybe oh, sometime. God. Yeah, a, a little while ago. And look, you know, who knows if the new one will be good? I have seen the trailer, or at least I remember <laughs> seeing the trailer, and it left me kind of. Eh? Um, but that yeah. doesn't mean it'll be good or bad. It's just a trailer. Yeah. Uh, I hope it's good. I really want it to be good. You mean you don't walk into a movie theater going, ugh, I can't wait to have a bad time. <laughs> no, I'm not a DC fan, so I don't do that. <laughs> oh, call <You> out. <laughs> just trying to drum up some engagement here. So yeah, let's start at the beginning. At the very beginning. With okay. The Matrix, which came out in uh, March of... 1999 that feels impossible still to me how so just 
the fact that this came out in 99 is still, it just does not track with me because it is head and shoulders above every other movie that preceded it for years. Like, it, it the special effects in particular and the vibe and the themes just feel, it just blows everyone out of the water the kind craftsmanship of. I yeah think. yeah uh and by two people who like hadn't done that much else in terms of film nothing of the scale uh nothing like this but yeah this was their like big league shot and they nailed it knocked it out of the park that's the wachowskis of course i'm actually not gonna do a plot recap of the matrix because (laughs) if you don't know what the matrix is about that's on you man go look at wikipedia i don't know what to tell you yeah just go rewatch it now it's on hbo max Mm -hmm. as of early uh, late november as of late november it'll probably it's a warner brothers film and i'm sure they'll be wanting to drum up excitement for resurrection which is what we're doing you're welcome, Warner yeah. Brothers. Send the check in yeah. the mail. <laughs> yeah, so obviously The Matrix is a fantastic film. And like you were saying, the craftsmanship of this movie is in the same league as like peak Spielberg, peak James Cameron. Yeah. Like yeah. from beginning to end, the movie just knows exactly what it is, exactly what it's doing. It's themes. What I find so interesting watching it now and kind of with the hindsight of learning that uh, both the Wachowskis transitioned and yeah. how this is a movie about that. And I spent 20 years watching this movie having no idea that's yeah. what this was about. And it adds another wonderful layer to it. Yeah. And without knowing anything about any of the themes, this is a great movie. It's just one of those movies that works mm-hmm. no matter how you approach it. It's the parasite thing where it's so specific yeah. and yet through that specificity finding the universal which is what i love about movies and tv it's it's giving us access to the universal through the specific and this movie is so so good at it when you noticed uh, something interesting speaking of the craftsmanship and the care that went into this movie just in terms of uh the budget that this film had Dude, so The Matrix cost $63 million to make. That's it. So you might be saying, the viewer, <laughs> that, oh, well, $63 million, but adjust for inflation, and I'm sure it would be a lot more. And you'd be right that, like, it, it, you know, if you adjust for inflation, it's more. Yeah. But that adjustment is approximately, what, $103 million? $104.6 million. That's a lot of money, but... <laughs> that is literally half of the budget for the recent Black Widow movie, which like special effects are hard and most visual effects artists simply don't have the time that they need to or the the budget. Like, I get it, but The Matrix, which was shot in 1999, looks even more ridiculous, like looks infinitely better than the Black Widow movie. Well, in every respect. Yeah, that's something we've talked about before, which is just how it's not that special effects are worse now. It's that the artists are never given enough time to do them properly. And you kind of end up with this good enough scenario, whether it's because they don't want to pay them or they just farm it out to too many different VFX houses and all the budgets are too small or there's just not enough time. There's not enough time. No one is communicating properly. Changes are happening like right up until the last minute because, oh, it's all digital. And it's like, no, no, there's an art here that needs time. The 
Black Panther movie famously sort of biffs the third act in what is yep. an otherwise very good movie. Mm. And that's because they changed the final fight mm-hmm. uh, between Killmonger and Black Panther. And it looks like garbage because it's all CGI. Yeah. It all is just this kind of floaty nonsense. And we'll get into floaty nonsense <laughs> a little later. But clearly what is so great about The Matrix is they had the time to execute this properly. And there's obviously like an animating vision behind all of this. Yeah. That, again, even if you don't know the backstory uh, about this being sort of a, a trans story, you don't need to because like clearly that's there's a passion there. There mm-hmm. is something very important to both of the Wachowskis that they're saying. And that gives, at least in my opinion, that gives the movie like life that gives it an energy that a lot of action films just don't have yeah there's there's this sense of something much deeper beneath it and like god knows i love speed and whatnot but this is like it's clearly a very it's personal personal story uh again without having known anything about the Wachowskis and their then future transition like it's pretty astonishing just the depth at play here one interesting element that didn't make it into the final film but was apparently in an earlier draft of the script was that the character switch was supposed to be um, one gender in the real world Mm -hmm. and another gender in the matrix i think that's my only regret watching the movie now is that i wish they had followed through with that i'm assuming that was some kind of studio note either that it'll be too confusing yeah you know you know and like it's it wouldn't have been too confusing it would have taken one line of dialogue like hey who are you oh i'm switch switch Uh, And it's like, oh, especially because like, yes, like transphobia was even worse in the late 90s, but also like lots of gamer dudes played as like had female avatars and whatnot. It's not that like crazy an idea. Yeah, it actually fits the universe very well. You know, that like, especially because they explain that what you see in the Matrix is your own sort of self-representation, how you see yourself. And so like, that's a cool concept. And you could have that without hitting anyone over the head with it. It could just be this It's, it's very a couple simple, lines, yeah. yeah. So that's maybe the only thing I wish was there that isn't. But boy, that's a minor quibble. Yeah, <laughs> like, and not even a quibble, just a like, oh, you had this. Yeah, that would have been cool. I kind of wish I, that was there. Yeah, I know we're jumping around a lot here, but to go back to the special effects for a second, obviously bullet time is sort of the big mm-hmm. thing that everyone remembers. But I think like an unheralded part of bullet time is that all of it was just on a green screen stage. Mm-hmm. Like when they're up on the roof and he dodges the bullets of the agent, that's just green screen. Yeah, They didn't shoot on a roof. It looks flawless. It looks completely realistic. You would never know. And like that's the kind of thing where it's like they clearly had the time to do it right. They had months and months and months. And it shows. I don't see how you could do it better Mm -hmm. today. Everything about this movie, there's clearly lots of time put into it. There's so much texture in it. And that's kind of why it really draws you into the Matrix itself because everything is so detailed. The textures of everyone's clothing and the grime and... It's it's just such a lived-in world that you are like, oh my god, machines, you know, this is all not real. That's that's just crazy. And on top of that texture, there's just this vibe where some of the dialogue is not everyone could 
could handle this dialogue, I feel like, especially in the first movie. And we'll get, we'll get to the other ones. It just sets a vibe where you do buy into this and the actors are so plugged into that vibe. No pun intended. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty astonishing to me. Like the perfection of all the casting in here from the Oracle, who sadly had to be replaced in, in the third one because of the death of Gloria Foster, who has this incredible warmth and light like radiating from her at all times and that's no shade on mary alice who replaces gloria foster she is wonderful in her own way but it is a bummer because she does such a good job of giving you an access point to this very weird concept i think well there's a lot of exposition in this movie but it does a good job of masking that exposition with good line delivery like great character actors who can really present these very weird and potentially silly concepts in a way that you're just like, yep, totally Mm -hmm. on board. Like they're, they're using us for electricity instead of geothermal. I don't know what that's (laughs) about, but no one tell them about that. (laughs) Yeah. They have these digging machines. Why don't they just dig into the magma and, and just siphon that off? Well, machines do have to stay very cool to operate. So maybe the heat would have, uh, you know, been a problem. We'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is actually, uh, we were talking about, the most unrealistic thing about this movie is that we powered the AI with solar. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, no, we would have just pumped a bunch of coal into that shit. (laughs) We would have NFT'd the AI. Oh my God. Yeah, it is funny that like... Currently, there's, you know, AI applications that are just being used to produce like 10,000 different dumb lion cartoons with slightly different faces and outfits. They're worth a lot. I don't know if you uh, are aware. Oh, boy, you put all our savings into into the board ape yacht club, didn't you? All $124. (laughs) Honestly, the Matrix would be preferable to the nft future that we seem to be slouching towards a lot of that exposition works because a as you said it's delivered by amazing actors but it's also in service of a pretty small story and a pretty tight story like it's basically just is neo the one yeah what is the matrix is neo the one and how can he kind of find himself yeah and become his true self and also a good time to bring up agent smith hugo weaving just in his run of absolute bangers Uh, just having a great time. Kind of a classic villain now. Yeah. He's, he's an all-time great villain, and he really just nails the characterization of this just really tired program yeah. that doesn't want to be there anymore. A relatable villain. I really I really do relate to that quite strongly. Like, I, I hate being here. I want to get out. I hate this, this place. place. Like, oh, yeah, you man. live in L.A. too? Oh, shit. Sometimes it does look a little like L.A. Like when, when yeah. they're on the freeway there in the second movie, that's just like, hmm. Sure seems like it. The only way you know it's not L.A. is because it rains a lot there. Yep. Also, like the music, essential 
part of setting the vibe to this movie. We'll have to put the link in the description for a YouTube channel called Sideways. So he breaks down musical scores and there's a one he does about the Matrix that I had. Again, I had no idea how much time and effort went into this score. Uh, It's remarkable. Yeah. I don't know anything about music theory and the video gets a little technical occasionally, but he's he's a great guide through through that world. Uh, It is comprehensible and fascinating. And the composer, Don Davis, did a few other things, but hasn't become like a modern... Yeah, he's not like uh, a Howard Shore. He's not Hans like Zimmer. a... Yeah. He, it's weird. It feels like he could have been a Hans Zimmer. He should have been, just based on this score alone. Like, he should have been scoring every movie in Hollywood for like 20 years. Kudos to him. Just another part of like, there was enough time and everyone clearly believed in this project and was on board and was willing to do whatever it took to, to make it happen. And it really shows. It's just so... So kinetic. There's so yeah. much energy. You to it. never really get a chance to like breathe, breathe. Although there is like again, you get all these lovely character moments in there amidst the like go 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 go. The only part of this movie that is hard to watch in retrospect is uh, when Neo and Trinity uh, kind of do the assaults on the tower to go save Morpheus. And that's not the Matrix's fault. Yeah. Um, But it does because that clearly inspires some mass shootings. Uh, Like the gunniness of it all is really difficult to watch. Yeah. And it's a well-crafted scene. Like uh, the just all the squibs exploding and all the dust and dirt flying and the columns just disintegrating. It looks cooler than a lot of gun scenes, but it is still just like, I don't know, man, these are just security guards. Do they even know what they're guarding? Yeah, that's the thing is like, the movie does not allow you to stop and consider that Neo and Trinity are murdering people because these people are dying. Do their lives really not matter? I think we wouldn't look back at it as harshly if it hadn't been inspiration for some shitheads to shoot up schools and malls. I mean, that was probably going to happen no matter what. Looking back on it now, there's a little bit of a like, Yeah, you just don't feel great watching it. And again, it's not the movie's fault. I don't want to blame the Wachowskis at all for that. No, but also, I've really come to the realization over the years how much more I prefer fight scenes, like actual physical fight scenes, to any sort of gun scenes. Dude, guns, it's so boring to me. Yeah. Guns are so boring to me. Well, because they're magic. Like, uh, a gun is just magic in films. Like, there's, you can just shoot and hit a guy, you know, from across a busy street and they can be whatever you need them to be mm-hmm. and you know some fight scenes are you know worse than others there's plenty that are very tacky and dumb yeah. and bad but a good fight scene really elevates a movie and like the final showdown between smith and, and neo is a great example yeah. of that where it's just two guys in this dark room and it's super fun to watch that's more entertaining to me than the gun battle mm-hmm. by a pretty wide margin yeah it also helps that the fights in the matrix are propelling the story forward mm-hmm. because they're an, an opportunity for neo to learn mm-hmm. about himself like mm-hmm. he gets better as his fighting gets better mm-hmm. he gets more confident Confident. It's part of his progression as a character. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that same sense anytime guns get involved nope. in this movie. So that's just a nice added element yeah. uh, 
to those scenes. That is, in particular, Neo's final battle against Agent Smith in the subway. It is masterful. And like, I, you know, I don't love fight scenes that go on too long. I think almost all fight scenes in movies and TV could be cut in half. The same result would be achieved. We would still learn all we need to know. And it would still be cool. But the... Fight scene between Neo and Agent Smith is great. I don't think it should be cut in half. I think it's like the right length. There's so much stuff happening there. We are learning about Neo at the same time as he is learning about himself. Even better, there is a visual represent, like the Wachowskis give us the ability to understand what it looks like to see the Matrix, to like have the powers or abilities or whatever it is that Neo has in a way that's very tangible where Whereas in other fight scenes in later movies, you just don't get that. You don't get that like Matrix vision and it's this moment of total triumph and he's able to destroy Agent Smith. I don't even mind that Agent Smith is not actually destroyed in the in the end Uh, it's just I need that visual like oh this is what's happening I don't know if like it's not a it doesn't seem like a metaphor in the in the sequels you mean we don't get that in the sequels and I really think we needed (laughs) or I needed that at least yeah well part of the problem is that Neo is no longer growing as a character he's basically he's totally static yeah I feel like we're gonna segue into the sequels here yeah before we do that I thought we should touch on how conspiracy theorists yeah. kind of glommed on to this movie. And it's really unfortunate, but it is one of those things that now, and actually starting around 2017 or so, I did a project where I went to the geographic center of each state and talked to as many people as I could, and I ran into a frankly absurd number of hardcore conspiracy theorists. This was a little bit before QAnon came on the scene, but all the precursors were there, Flat Earth, Pizzagate, the Hillary Clinton email stuff. And what was really terrifying to me was the number of references that they had taken from the Matrix primarily. You know, I met a I met a couple red pill guys that was just really like, oh, you really didn't watch that movie very closely, did you? But Hollywood really loves to place conspiracy theorists into the protagonist role. And I think we're kind of seeing why that might not have been the best idea in the world, even though it works so well in The Matrix. I have sort of a larger ongoing theory about just Hollywood storytelling and how sort of by nature almost every movie or TV show and ones that I love like The X-Files or Fringe Uh always has this like larger grand conspiracy at the heart of it that the protagonists are always trying to Mm -hmm. solve and figure out and get to the bottom of and it makes for compelling movies and and shows like it's there's a reason it works but the problem is I think everyone now has kind of had their brains warped by that to believe that there is always a larger power Mm -hmm. somebody pulling the strings Mm -hmm. behind the curtain however you want to phrase it and no one can accept that it's just a bunch of bumbling octogenarian dumbass billionaires like the conspiracy is there out just in 
broad daylight. Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of rich people who don't want to give up a fraction of that wealth. Mm-hmm. There's no grand mystery, but that's just not as exciting. Right. It's not exciting to, to realize you can see it all. You yeah, want... it's all there. And there's, there's also a comfort blanket to it of like, well you know, I'm not in control because somebody else is pulling the strings Mm -hmm. and all we have to do is overthrow that person or that group Mm -hmm. of people and the world will be saved. Mm -hmm. All we have to do is unplug the matrix and the world will be better off. And it's like, well, what happens to all the people who are still plugged into the matrix? Yeah, like that's also, even if you were able to free all those people, that's billions of human beings that you suddenly have to clothe and feed they're naked they're they're naked their muscles don't work because they've been in a goo for their whole lives so yeah it's pretty bleak none of this is the fault of the movie or no yeah the wachowskis it's just like people can't really separate movies from from real life yeah and i think also what hasn't helped is the like total atomization of certainly american society i don't want to speak for a global audience but definitely i don't think we have a global audience But at least in America, you know, seeing the atomization and the total lack of culture that people have had to turn to popular culture to use as identity and the conspiracy theorist protagonist is very compelling and easy to connect with and makes you feel special. You want to be as special as Neo is. Kind of by design, Neo is a bit of a blank slate Mm -hmm. who needs to find himself. So that's an easy one to just be like, oh, I'm just like Neo. I'm just some schlub working a nine to five at this generic company. uh, And I wish I could just tell off my boss and yeah. go get unplugged and, and fight evil like you know it's a pretty classic hero's journey mm-hmm. so it all makes sense it, it is interesting to see who has taken all of these very interesting elements from from this movie in particular and taken them to like either extreme conclusions or the absolute wrongest conclusion in terms of the red pilled incel types the red pill stuff is fascinating because of just how completely antithetical to the messaging of the movie it all is and to have used that as your identifier for basically just saying like well all women are bitches and that's why i can't get laid and like what does that even have to do with the matrix what are you talking about no like how are it's so easy to read that you don't even have to read it as necessarily like a trans allegory it could just be like getting out of a toxically white male ruled place that's you know i'm gonna guess it's not a coincidence that all of the agents are very boring white dudes all of the agents look alike i mean morpheus says you all look the same to me which is a good little inversion of love that that kind of racism so i think that's why the matrix works so well is there are so many ways to read it and yet still so many have read it in the wrong way but like that's another one where it's just like the mechanism of control as these boring white guys who all look and dress the same and just want to exert (laughs) and want to exert their brand of control Mm -hmm. on everything Mm. and here's this group of quite diverse yeah very diverse effortlessly diverse too who are fighting this power and have to go underground and have to you know work to save 
save what little remains of their culture and humanity. Again, another that's another reading of The Matrix that you could take that is totally valid and correct. Yeah. But there are many correct readings, and yet... <laughs> there are so many wrong ones. And those are the ones that seem to have been kind of latched onto by a not insignificant amount of the population. Yeah, it's really... It's odd. It's quite troubling. Especially because, like, The Matrix is probably the most influential movie of the last 25, 30 years. Yeah. I would say the only one that rivals it is Pulp Fiction in terms of just how it changed how movies were made. Mm. It changed sort of the dynamic of filmmaking and storytelling. Mm -hmm. But I would say The Matrix wins out over Pulp Fiction because Pulp Fiction had a bigger influence on just like indie filmmaking Mm. and kind of it influenced a whole generation of guys. Guys, basically. (laughs) Myself included. I mean, I do love Pulp Fiction. Don't get me wrong. Pulp Fiction's great. Like, no one's here to slander Pulp Fiction. No. But it had a little bit more of a niche effect, uh, whereas The Matrix, like, every action movie for, like, forever, Till now. Really, Till now, yeah. Has something that can kind of be traced back to The Matrix. Mm-hmm. It was such a phenomenon when it everywhere, came out. Everywhere. Everywhere. For forever. <laughs> you could not get it. And it's really funny, too. Like, so, you know, The Matrix came out, and then two years later, we had Lord of the Rings. So The Matrix was shot just a one-off and then the two sequels were shot back to back and I don't know if that was like in response to like the Lord of the Rings showing that shooting things back to back was like a valid way of doing things a cost saver I don't really know but I can't help but feel there was some kind of connection there I want to say it was probably a cost saving thing that yeah you know, as expensive as Lord of the Rings was, shooting them all back to back probably did save them quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. So I suspect, like, especially after they were clearly a huge hit, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, well, we might as well do that mm-hmm. with The Matrix. Yeah. And it does make sense. I don't think it served the films. Yeah. So I guess that's our, that can be our transition into The Matrix sequels, which came out in 2003. Uh, the first one is The Matrix Reloaded. I definitely saw this in the theater. I do remember. It was like just before I turned 16, I want to say. I was at a swim meet in Gainesville and the parents took us all to see Whoops. The Matrix Reloaded and um, they instantly realized their mistake when there was the like weird Zion orgy. Orgy. <laughs> The funny thing about The Matrix Reloaded in recent years is that people have tried to kind of do a cultural revisiting because these movies were kind of universally not outright hated, but certainly like there was a sense of disappointment when they came out. Yeah. And I felt that same disappointment. I think I actually might have seen Reloaded twice in the trying theater, to be like trying to because the first time I was like, oh, great. So good. Oh, boy. And then kind of thinking about like, it's not sitting quite right. And so mm-hmm. I saw it again. I was like, oh, oh, no. And then when Revolutions came out, I was like, oh, shit, I was right. <laughs> as far as doing some sort of revisiting of these movies, I have some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I want to say this up front. So, you know, the Star Wars prequels were happening around that basically the same time yep and there's a similar problem at play in both of these franchises where both the star wars prequels and the matrix sequels have 
some really good ideas at their core. Star Wars prequels, it's like, how did space fascism happen? Which is like a worthy topic of exploration, I think. The Matrix sequels, their ideas are better. There are more good ideas in these movies than in the Star Wars prequels. But it's, I don't think they had the time. I just don't think they had the time because if they had been able to focus both of these movies more and had time to do maybe a few more drafts, I think these could have been really good movies actually yeah there's just a lack of focus to both of them and i would say the main theme of reloaded is the idea of choice versus everything being preordained the idea that we do have choices and for revolutions it's kind of just about love generally yeah there's a few like the themes of love control and choice slash fate run throughout the two and are amplified differently in both movies the love one comes most strongly in both as an inveterate romantic i i get what they're trying to say it's actually really nice but i don't think it works as well as it could Well, I think it ties into the unfocused nature of both of the films, where the first film is so focused and Mm -hmm. so straightforward and relatively small in its story, and also clearly a labor of love that Mm -hmm. they had been working on. Who knows how many you know revisions of the script they had done how many years they'd been trying to get greenlit probably looked like it was never going to happen many times over before Mm -hmm. it finally did and so this was something they'd been sitting with for years if not decades Mm -hmm. who knows and then you know warner made a bunch of money off of it (laughs) they were like let's get this let's do more and sure of course but if they just had a little bit more time to just do some more drafts Mm -hmm. of, of both scripts I think they could have really found what it was they wanted to focus Mm -hmm. on. Interestingly, I think the lack of focus comes in more clearly in the third film than in the second one. The second one has that problem as well, but it it felt more acute to me in in the third one. I know I'm talking about the Lord of the Rings movies a lot, but it feels like there are some parallels in terms of trilogies here where the Lord of the Rings story does get very diffuse towards the end. You've got not like a bunch of different people in different places, but they all are in service of the same goal. And I think that the problem is that the goal in the third Matrix movie in particular is just not clear enough because we never know what Neo has to do until he does it. Like, and Neo doesn't seem to know what Neo yeah. has to do. There's just this general sense of like, well, I have to go I, here. I have to make a choice. I have to make right. the choice. It's like, what are what you talking it? about? What is the choice? I don't know. I'm like, well, <laughs> shit, man. And yeah, actually, I think that's a really good point where they have to destroy the ring. They in, have to destroy the ring ways. and they have to create a distraction. First, they have to survive. Then they have to create a distraction so that... Frodo has a chance of throwing the ring in the fire. Great. I can follow that pretty well. And I think there was kind of a missed opportunity to... I don't want to say they should have done the exact same thing, but it does feel like that is kind of where the story could have gone that was a little more narratively coherent. So it all hinges, in my opinion, on Agent Smith. And where the problem lies for me is 
how much Smith just vanishes from both films for long Huge periods stretches. Of time. We just don't follow him enough. And our main antagonist is sort of lost. Like, we know the Matrix itself, the machines are bad. Yeah. But we don't really have any one villain to grasp onto no, there in isn't... the same way we did yeah. in the first one. Smith was the representation of of the machines Mm -hmm. of the matrix and the first one and in the second one he's a rogue agent like Mm -hmm. he's he's a rogue program Mm -hmm. and we don't get anyone to kind of act as the new villain the new representative of of the the matrix yeah and i think that's a big problem yeah uh and it leads to just sort of like well we're fighting the machines and like okay who are they exactly? Right, like, especially like, you know, the whole thing, the whole point of the second movie is Neo getting to see the architect and learning that he is himself part of this system, which is great. I love that. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Love that. Again, the way that it's executed is just not quite there. And I will say, I do. I, I had remembered the conversation that Neo has with the architect as just one really long, frankly, kind of boring scene. But it is interesting intercut with action stuff so that's good but it it still just doesn't cohere for me although i will admit i liked it more this This, time than i had in the past and i think it's just because i kind of understood it more this time Mm -hmm. Uh, when i was a kid and i watched this uh, it was all just sort of like Like, ergo vis-a-vis therefore (laughs) heretofore blah 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 (laughs) i got where they were going with it and i liked the intercutting and actually that brings up sort of in going back again to lord of the rings where you intercut between all these mm-hmm. uh, storylines happening, all these different characters. But I feel like those films, particularly in the later, like in Return of the King, yeah. they do a good job of kind of keeping those segments equal in yeah. the sense of like how long you spend mm-hmm. with Frodo and then you go to Aragorn and then you go to uh, Merry and Pippin. And they're kind of in the same chunks of time. Yeah. Whereas in the Matrix sequels, we don't follow Neo and Trinity for a very long time. They, and they just kind of vanish from the movie for like 35, 40, 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Same goes for Smith, maybe even more egregiously. Like mm-hmm. Morpheus kind of gets sidelined. Like yeah. Sort of our, our main... Our fellowship. Our fellowship, <laughs> yeah. Like, Instead, we're following all these new characters. And like, I'm not against them bringing in new characters. No, especially not the the actors that they bring in. They get some great actors. Harold Perrineau as as Link is, he's such a great actor and I honestly wish they had given him a little more to do. Yeah, he kind of gets short shrift here. He does the best he can, but less so in the third movie, but in Reloaded, he's kind of just there as this sort of comic relief slash Greek chorus. Yeah. And it feels a little like, eh. Kind of beneath him, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He, the man oozes like charisma and energy. Like, put that to use, yeah. y'all. Especially in the third movie, Morpheus really gets... Uh, Which is kind of crazy to me yeah. that he is that Morpheus is sidelined so much in the third movie because he is the one who brought Neo out of the ma- uh, you know removed him from the Matrix and has been this zealot and then he's informed that it's all been a lie that he's like a pawn in this scheme by the very system he wishes to bring down and we just don't really do much with that we don't get much of him having this real crisis of faith 
and have like watch him work through that in ways that involve action maybe yeah there's like a sort of a couple moments where it seems like he's questioning his faith but it's pretty brief and then it, ultimately he is just like well whatever neo's doing that's what he's got to do he's doing he'll do it and it's like yeah all right but like man your whole worldview was just shattered destroyed like your life's work yeah you've been looking for neo your whole life and you found him and you're gonna save the world and then it turns out like no you were being used by the machines that's a bummer like holy huh? shit that's like catatonic depression at least or homicidal anger or something, something like anything whereas in lord of the rings even as the fellowship splinters we stick with the core fellowship and, and the new characters we meet are still sort of in service of that core exactly. fellowship yeah in the matrix sequels we get these new characters and then oftentimes just follow them around yeah without any of the original uh team members being there and it's a little like i mean good for them but i don't care like i want to yeah. see my friends i need a little more time with some of the other characters that we already know in order to it's like you know with a dog <laughs> like you got i'm like a dog you got to get me used to the other person that you're introducing me to and yeah let me sniff their hand first yeah see what their whole while, deal is while you're there next to me yeah. making me feel safe <laughs> and i think as egregious as uh, morpheus's sidelining is i think what really sticks in my craw especially for revolutions is how little of agent smith we see because you've made this decision to keep him as your big bad he's he is now the linchpin of this whole trilogy and when neo finally gets to the machine city and confronts the I don't the know, guy the frame uh, yeah, yeah whatever really. his, the weird baby face machine <laughs> he's just like hey agent smith is taking over you can't control him it's like, well, that would have been cool to have seen. To like, see, like, a lot more. I know yeah. that the element is there because we see Agent Smith take over a bunch of people. Or a few, a, few pe- a few people. That's what it really is. We only see him take over a few people. We see him take over the Oracle. But we don't see him, like, take over the Merovingian. Or, you know, what if he takes over the Architect? What if you construct the story so that both Neo and Agent Smith are trying to get to the Architect? And Agent Smith gets to the Architect before... Or, like, during his conversation with Neo. And does his little transform thing after Neo gets the necessary information. And then... Neo realizes what Agent Smith is up to, and then we end and reloaded right there. And then he can tell us at the top of Matrix Revolutions that his goal is to get to the machine city and talk with the head machine and tell him that, hey, Agent Smith is a problem and I'm the only one who can take care of it and we should have a peace. That's just a much more defined story. It's more defined and it gives Neo more agency, whereas he's sort of driven by like a feeling, his gut, whatever. Yeah, it's so vague. It's so vague. And I think having him be a little more active yeah action oriented yeah. like i saw what agent smith is doing and i actually we need to strike a truce with the machines or agent smith will destroy us all and that like 
is in conflict with Zion's whole Thing. centuries-long yeah. war with the machines. So it adds conflict there where people are like, oh my God, Neo is, you know, he's on the side of the machines. We can't trust him. There's so much drama you could pull from that. Yeah. And it's especially frustrating because at one point, I believe the Oracle tells Neo, Agent Smith is your opposite. Like he is yeah. sort of the antichrist yeah. to your Christ figure, which he is. <laughs> And like, that's cool. That's a great idea. Like Neo is the one and Agent Smith is everything. The zero. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's better. (laughs) And if we're talking binary. Yeah. If we're talking binary, then he is the zero. But he's also like, he's not one. He is is all. Yeah. He is all. And like, I think I'm more frustrated now than when I saw these movies as a kid or a teen. Yeah. Because of the like missed potential here. Yeah. Because there's so much that's good. Uh, yeah, and all, like I feel like all the elements are there. And if they had just had the incentive and the time, the time really to refine and really like focus the both of these stories, it's just the lack of focus is just killer. I mean, like you said, like Agent Smith disappears for. 45 minutes we don't see him after he takes over the oracle until the final boss battle battle, which is another issue that i wish they had done something more with you know like i said in that first fight against agent smith that ends the matrix we're learning so much about neo this world we get a visual representation of what it means to destroy a program like Agent Smith, that's all great. But in every subsequent fight, every time Neo comes up against Agent Smith, which he comes up against him three, four more times? I think trying to It's at least three times. And every fight is the same. Right. It's all the same. It's just like, oh, there's more guys. Oh, and then the last one is just him against Agent Smith. And I'm like, what is different about this fight other than the fact that they're flying around? It's the Superman problem. It it looks like a bad Superman fight. Well, yes. So I guess it's the Superman problem in a couple of ways. (laughs) One being now like Superman or Dr. Manhattan or whatever, they're so comically yeah. overpowered captain marvel captain mm-hmm. marvel like there's they have so much power that it sort of ruins any sense of stakes because what can possibly stop them? right i think the original matrix it's maybe one kind of sin against itself is that final shot of neo flying yeah away. that was a mistake <laughs> like that was a mistake neo should not be able to fly like he can jump super high mm-hmm. that's fine they established that in the first one like physics can be bent but maybe Maybe they can't quite be broken. broken. Like the human mind is simply not capable of breaking them to that extent. Yeah. Because once he can fly, you know, the big battle in Reloaded between Neo and all the Agent Smiths, Agents Smith, <laughs> uh, just sort of ends with him being like, oh, it's too many of them. I'm going to fly I'm gonna away. Fly off. <laughs> and then they all just sort of wander off. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, why didn't you just do, do that, that in the start? first place? Because what are you what is your goal in this fight? What are you here for? You know, you can't kill them all. So what are we doing? Why here? didn't we like learn something about the Agent Smith copies in that scene? We didn't learn anything. First of all, it can't be that many. It shouldn't be that many. Yeah. If you reduce the number to like, I don't know, 15, let's say, yeah. and they all had like a different fighting style or there was, you, there's something slightly different about them because 
they're not exact copies. They're taking over. Like something goes with them when they take over. Yeah, there's. Program. Yeah, exactly. It's a virus using a host, you yeah. know, and it has the appearance of Agent Smith. But there's other parts of it that that aren't Agent Smith. It would have been cool, actually, if like the more generations of Smith removed from the original, they get like kind of weirder and maybe deformed and sort yeah. of. Yeah fucked up looking that could have been a cool little and i wonder if that's something that they either had the idea to do but simply could not execute in the time that they had or if it's an idea that would have emerged if they'd done a few more drafts or something it's more disappointing i think than a lot of other sequels or franchises that kind of fell off because there's so much potential that's there there are Mm -hmm. so many moments that are good like i'd kind of forgotten how good the battle for zion actually is it is so good it comes at a weird point in the movie uh, that's a big problem again like the cutting of this movie things happen at weird points like the agent smith big battle and reloaded should have happened either at the end or it in, should have just been in, in the uh, revolution yeah it's it's very weird yeah with that being said it's, it's a good so sequence. good. And like, again, we, you know, we're watching this late November 2021. This came out almost 20 years ago and it looks kind of flawless. Yeah. I, I did not see anything in there that, you know, was like, oh, oh boy. That's janky. Yeah. Like it looks as good as anything being yeah. made the, today. The squid design for the flocks of, uh, yeah, I don't know what you call them. Of Schools, squid? I guess. A murder of squid. <laughs> While you're looking that up, like the way they all move together and kind of become one super organism. It's either a shoal or a squad. Ooh, oh, a squid squad. Squid squad. I love that. We're doing squid squads. Yes. Yeah, the squads of squid look great. Like Amazing. They, they and move terrifying. Terrifying. When they all burst out of the ceiling. Oh and, my God, and nightmare. And wrap around. Like it looks yeah. great. You get a real great sense of desperation of the... Zionists? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. Whoops. Uh, of the Zion like army trying to hold a dock, basically. Yeah. It's even something where I'd say the Agent Smith battle in Reloaded looks janky at points. Uh, yeah, it really does. It, it, like, it feels like a, a, a video game. It feels like a video a game. Way. Like you can tell that Neo is cgi mm-hmm. there are smiths who are cgi i don't want to dock it too hard because they were trying something they they were trying something new yeah and it i appreciate that the tech wasn't quite there i think they felt the need to top bullet time from yeah. the first one mm-hmm. and this was their attempt to do that and if they had pulled it off I don't know if it would have topped it, but it would have been very impressive. And they just, again, maybe didn't have time or, you know, just kind of got in over their heads. I feel like it would have been more forgivable if there had been a real story attached to it. We're not really learning anything about Smith and his copies. We're not learning anything new about Neo. He isn't using any new skills that we haven't seen him use before. Right. So it just feels like filler, which is the worst kind of fight scene to me. Yeah, like, oh, we need an action sequence here. Like, uh, well, Smith has been copying himself, so he fights Neo? That'll be cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just cool for coolness sake is never the best No, and it's like, oh, you could have just put in a chase scene here. And that is probably... That would have been 
cool. Like a foot chase scene. Sort a of foot a chase, yeah, break, through the city, yeah. yeah. With Neo with being pursued of, yeah. by lots of agents, uh, and they keep their army keeps growing as they like mm-hmm. do the brr thing yep. to everybody as they're chasing, and so it becomes like him against running from an army. Mm-hmm. That would have been cool. Again, though, the problem comes down to like, well, why doesn't he just fly fly off? Which is why they never should have had him fly in the first place. Yeah. Like he could jump up to fire escapes, the tops of buildings, but maybe the agents can too. Mm -hmm. And the Smiths can as well. And like that would have been... You leave Morrissey out of this. (laughs) I would love to. That would have been, I think, a more dynamic sequence. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like, I think the best sequence in Reloaded is the car chase. It's so good. Although it also gets a little janky at the end At there. points. Like a lot of the cars are CGI and you can kind of see it. At the, some for me, it's not even the CGI cars. It's Morpheus being on top of the truck. Yeah. Uh, and the way that he'll like land just on the edge. And it's like, I have bought in. I have suspended my disbelief. Please don't test me. <laughs> and they're testing me. Yeah. Actually, I think you're right. Everything up until Morpheus is on top of the truck. Actually, I'm, is great. I'm pretty great. on board with all of the motorcycle stuff like that looks fucking great the agent jumping from car to car and like those are real cars being crumpled those aren't cgi great uh the behind the scenes of that whole sequence is pretty cool yeah that's the one they built a highway you know they built what four miles or something i think it was only like two two and a half miles i mean that's a lot of fucking highway to build it was on an old air force base or or airport Mm. or something um outside of san francisco and they built the highway and you know they made the most of it i think some of the landscapes look a little fake you know the city they're driving through looks a, a little not real mm. but yeah that's okay it's not real yeah in, that's in the kind universe. of suspe- suspension of disbelief i'm not going to question that i'm right. i'm along for the ride but when you have it's when you bring human bodies into it and do things with them that like yes i know it's the matrix it's just too much so also that sequence ends in a very similar way to the smith battle sequence where yeah Neo just flies Deus in and, Neo. Yeah, and saves Morpheus and the Keymaker and just flies off with them. And mm-hmm. that's that. And that's it. It's like, well, I know Fuck. they like had him. He had to go from a far away. From very place, far away. Whatever. So like, that's how they got him out of the scene. But it reminds me of Captain Marvel in Endgame where they're like, where is Captain Marvel? <laughs> it's anyway? like, oh, she's, she's just in the other room. <laughs> basically, like, oh, she went to another planet. Like. Oh, all right. Uh, but, but what about this one? We've got a pretty We've, serious problem like, here. Thanos is here. This is no. All right. Okay, I guess. All right. Well, hopefully she shows up. Oh, Neo Ex Machina. That's what. That's better. Yeah. It's a Neo Ex Machina. So yeah, <laughs> both sequences end with just like, oh, well, he can just do anything. So I guess it's. Uh, it just drains the tension. Yeah. And, like, Why you did know, we go through all up that Up until trouble? that sequence where it's Trinity and Morpheus and the Keymaker is so tense and so propulsive, which had been kind of lacking in the rest of the movie. There just wasn't any momentum. It was paced like a TV show. Yeah. Honestly, it was like, oh, this feels like we should be hanging out here and exploring this world in like 10 episodes of television or or something like that whereas that car chase sequence is just we're running flat out we've got a goal we got to get the key maker away from the the weird ghost 
albino dreadlock twins. I kind of love them. They're, yeah, yeah, no, they're cool. They're creepy and cool. And I feel like they were they, a cool new thing. Yeah. And that chase sequence does a good job of introducing sort of new elements on top of each other to raise the stakes and the tension. But it never gets totally overwhelming and like too much. It's yeah. just enough where like things keep going from bad to worse. And then that's kind of where it falls apart is then Neo shows up and saves them. It's like, ah, like, no, fuck. I want them to figure this out. I, Neo can't just show up every time to make no. things all better. And that doesn't mean you should sideline him for like 20 to 30 minutes at a time, which yeah. is what happens yeah. in revolutions in particular. And it's like he's sitting in the train station waiting not doing anything, having visions. And then he's, first he's like in a coma, actually. Right. Oh, I guess he's in the coma in the train station. And then he gets out and then he goes to the Oracle and then he's just gone for a while. He and Trinity are off in Niobe's ship and the battle for Zion happens and is really great and propulsive. And you're like, well, this honestly feels like the end of the movie. Like, But then you've got another 40 minutes left. Yeah, that's what's frustrating is you have this big ending that feels like it's anticlimactic yeah uh especially because we've seen neo and agent smith fight so much so and many there's times. kind of nothing new to this in, final battle in fact it beggars belief in a number of ways because like at the end of the matrix neo dives into agent smith and that's like cool and interesting why doesn't he do that this time why do they just hit each other i i don't understand that fight sequence at all like what is the point why are they fighting physically it would have been kind of interesting if maybe neo had dived into agent smith and it didn't work and destroyed him but then there's all these oh, others yeah. and they're like haha you can't do that yeah. to all of us that also would have helped tie in like at the end when smith takes over neo and that's ultimately yeah, his that destruction been, so that would have been really cool and a really cool reversal because neo tries his like going in and that doesn't work so of course agent smith has to go in and that's what works like it's a nice thematic thing yeah. again it's all these things that are so close to being there and it yeah. just feels like they needed more time which i think can bring us to my hopes for resurrections mm. before i do that though i do want to give a shout out to the actor ian bliss who plays bane uh not that bane. <laughs> different bane uh who is a human not he's not in the matrix but his body is taken over by agent smith mm -hmm. and he gets him out into the real world so yeah. freddy krueger which is style. another really cool it's a thing. cool idea fucking yeah. awesome i just want to shout him out because he really nails hugo weaving <laughs> like, yeah his delivery his his line delivery it almost sounds like it was dubbed i hope yeah. it wasn't i don't actually know i don't think it i was. choose to believe yeah. they just picked a guy who is very good at he looks crazy i think the funniest part about that is when he has his showdown with neo in the real world there's a lot of back and forth of neo oh being like God. who are you you don't know mr anderson it's like, like what other person you has mr. Anderson? ever called you that is neo supposed to be just like a giant idiot kind of a dumbass the mm. oracle in the first movie does say not too, too bright though. I mean, so maybe because it is just like does anyone in the real world actually know you're you your were, name you were called other than like maybe mr. trinity anderson? and morpheus yeah this random guy doesn't know your your dead old, name yeah, like, yeah uh so it's just like look closer look beneath the flesh dude like, and it goes on for like forever minutes it's like, and it's like jesus christ can obvious, we obviously that's smith dude well and also like oh i guess neo could only see the agent smith within when he gets blinded 
Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Fine. We'll allow that. <laughs> but like, yeah, it, uh, anyway, Ian Bliss, great job. Great uh, job. That's, yeah, there, there are a lot of really fantastic elements in these sequels that like could really carry the potential that was established in, in the, in the first one. And I do hope that the new movie had the time. time. It, I mean, it, there certainly has <laughs> certainly, been a lot of Certainly time. been enough years. Yeah, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that enough time was spent on this, but I hope that it was. I hope that Lana Wachowski had time to create the script and really figure out and nail what story she wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Lily Wachowski is not back for this one. It's mm-hmm. just Lana Wachowski. Uh, and from what I've read, uh, Lily Wachowski just didn't want to relive this I'm like, good time for in her, her life. Man. And clearly doesn't need to, has plenty of money. And yeah, like, yeah and like, people really liked Sense8. Yeah, I've heard that. I've actually never seen it. I sort of have a weird soft spot for Cloud Atlas. It's not a good movie. <laughs> uh, You're not it, the only person There's something I know weirdly, who... I mean, I think the worst part is like, there is some yellow face in that that is, mm. I don't even know how, it wasn't Mm-mm. that long ago that that movie yeah, was made. Yeah, which is, well, the, What's so weird about that is like these movies are all, I know I said effortlessly diverse, but it's like fantastic. There's everyone in this. Like there doesn't seem to be any colorism at play. Like obviously this is a post-racism society. Like they got bigger fish to fry. They do. Yeah. It's like we can't, we can't deal with racism now. We don't have time to get into all of Cloud Atlas. (laughs) I think like the trouble with Cloud Atlas is the adaptation of the book being that it is supposed to be the same person through time and through cultures. Mm -hmm. And that's a lovely thing to have in a book. It works in a book. It works in a book. But when you have Hugo Weaving wearing makeup. uh, Oh, Hugo, why? Yeah, he's, he's wearing yellow face makeup like and it it looks bad. It looks fake. And it's just. Uh, also like Tom Hanks I don't think it has anything quite that extreme but he's also doing some stuff that's a little like Tom man what and I think it's just because the source material they made the choice to have the same actors play different characters and it's an idea that sounds fine on paper until you're there on the day and you're like like, we can't have Hugo Weaving be Asian like oh no I think the Wachowskis are coming at it from like a good place and we're just yeah i think it's mistakes made by some the wachowski yeah i'm not gonna totally let them off no 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 but i think it's like sometimes people with good intent can make mistakes and like it doesn't mean it's okay but also like forgiveness is is possible yeah and they've done enough other great again like sensate was sensate i've actually heard speed racer is really good it does have a cult following it does i've never i still never seen it so maybe we should check it out at some point so i do have a lot of hope for matrix resurrections i'm not even really somebody who was you know champing at the bit for there to be another matrix no it didn't feel necessary but you know keanu's great carrie ann moss i'm glad she's getting How something yeah she know. hasn't really done much in a while like hey she was in uh jessica jones and she was really good oh i didn't watch it wow no it's uh, like it was fine yeah uh, it was, that I, first season was good i liked sure. it i want it to be good i want everyone involved to get to do something great again like it doesn't even have to be as good as the original matrix because that feels unfair to yeah expect i don't that. know yeah i don't think you can recapture that feeling of just like holy shit filmmaking has changed forever yeah that is kind of a once in a lifetime thing Mm -hmm. it kind of goes back to like 
as great as many of Orson Welles' films were mm. after Citizen Kane, he could never really escape the fact that he made Citizen Kane, yeah. and it's because that movie changed filmmaking mm-hmm. forever. How many times can one person do that? Or two people, or two people in the case yeah. of the Wachowskis. But like, if you change filmmaking forever, you're probably not going to be able to do that twice. No. No, and like you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. Uh, like, no one. I, I'm certainly not expecting them to. Like, good, good for them for their reputation is is forever solidified mm-hmm. by this one true masterpiece. Masterpiece. It's flawless, basically. Like I just rewatching it. It had been a little while. Just a joy, you know. Joey Pants is there. We didn't even talk uh, about Joey. We didn't Pants. talk about Joey Pants because what is there to say? But so he's good. just so good. What I love is that he was clearly a piece of shit from the beginning. Like mm-hmm. the very first lines of dialogue are him, him and Trinity. And yeah, and him like, you basically are told right away that he's the villain. Yeah. Because Trinity says like, what was that noise? Is this line being traced? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, it's, of course not. And like, holy shit. They just told you yep. like, oh, he's the bad guy. Yep. And then he's just kind of a piece of shit. Yep. For, in a in a delicious way. Yeah, yeah. And in a way that is kind of understandable. Like, God, we got to eat this fucking slop. Yeah, I've got all these holes in me. Yeah, it's dark and Trinity dank. won't fuck me. <laughs> it's, uh, he's, he does a great job. Um, and again, like, the first Matrix having him and Hugo Weaving as its two main villains, mm-hmm. antagonists. And then the second two films not really having a good villain. No, there was like, yeah, there's the there's Smith who's just kind of there, but there the motivation he keeps is disappearing. Not, he keeps disappearing and his motivation is weird to me. Like he wants revenge on Neo. Like, no, why can't he just be a program looking to accrue power and take over. Why can't he just be a virus? Like, right. I love that idea that Agent Smith has this has that whole amazing speech to Morpheus when he's torturing Morpheus and is like, you're a virus. Like, And I love the idea that him having a little piece of Neo in him or whatever has only made him more human slash virus-like. Yeah. I, I think that's great. And they didn't do anything, do anything with, that. with that. Yeah, like we never really understand why he wants to replicate and take over. And like, what's he going to do once he does? Right. You know, what's his end goal here? Also, I'd just like to point out that just remember 14 year old me watching that scene with Morpheus and Agent Smith and being like, holy shit, humans are the virus? I'm going to be my little mind. I'm going to be an obnoxious little atheist for the next five years. (laughs) I'm going to post on all the fucking (laughs) forums. forums. (laughs) You and a lot of others, I think. A seminal moment for a lot of of shitty little 14-year-old boys. But, you know, it isn't incorrect. No, he has, uh, like any good villain, Agent Smith has some points. And I wish they had kind of leaned into those points a little bit more. Yeah, just kind of clear. Because you can tell that Smith is having an identity crisis in the sequels. But then it kind of culminates in him asking Neo what the point is. And it's like... Yeah, what is the point? Fuck, no, you're, you're a villain. You need to have, like, some purpose uh, outside of just blind copying well like. in, in the beginning of reloaded he says like i knew what i was supposed to do after you defeated me i was supposed to be deleted mm-hmm. uh, but i couldn't i was compelled and then they never really build on that idea and it's just like if he wanted to get revenge on the machines the matrix for wanting to delete him 
Sure. That would have at least been something. Or, it, but or it's never you know, clear. he finds true freedom outside yeah. of the system and loves it. And it's almost a, a Thanos thing for him where he's like, I'm bringing everyone this gift. I'm yeah. freeing you from this oppressive system. Yeah. Again, like sort of the incorrect opposite, the anti-Neo. Yeah. Where like... Neo wants to bring freedom to everyone, but in a good way. Yeah, but freedom without control, whereas Smith is incapable. His freedom comes through control by turning everyone into him. I think that's like compelling and good. Can we do something a little more with that? Yeah, yeah. So they're both just kind of weirdly shaggy dog movies that just don't have the same momentum and precision that the first Mm -hmm. one has. And they're chock full of interesting good ideas no, meaty and some things meaty things and some good scenes like Great some scenes. solid sequences in yeah. there i leave them with more of a profound sense of disappointment than the first time mm-hmm. around where I was just like, yeah, they weren't that great. Yeah. And now it's like, ah, oh, they could have been great. Yeah. In a way that like the star Wars prequels is just like, God, they're such a mess mm-hmm. that I even though there are some interesting ideas, I don't get the sense that they ever could have been great as long as George Lucas was involved. No. And that's, I know, heresy to a lot of people. But like, is it really at this point? I think at this mm. point, yeah. But like, George Lucas isn't that good of a director. He's kind of an ideas man. Mm-hmm. And it's, the films are better when he's not too involved. Those films also needed like multiple more drafts. Well, yes, uh, certainly some dialogue help. <laughs> the same can't be said for the Wachowskis, where it's like, oh, these two know what the fuck they're doing. Mm-hmm. The craft is incredible. Yeah. Still, in like some of the stuff they pull off is just like, how in mm-hmm. the hell? It's just one of those things where, like, so in the third movie, there's the shootout at the Merovingians. Uh, dungeon grave whatever <laughs> whatever the hell and that's all the, about. the people that morpheus and trinity are shooting at are on the ceiling for some reason and it's like okay this looks cool and i cannot imagine what a pain in the ass this was to shoot because i think they, they were actually it. on the ceiling yeah they yeah. did it for real and like amazing to what end right to what end like that's the bullet time stuff was very much for a purpose it was like oh neo is seeing things in a different way he can move more quickly than everyone else and that is cool why do people on the ceiling matter what advantage yeah what advantage does that give you i guess it's kind of weird to see it first but then you're like all right i guess i just shoot up cool yeah it's like you know hitting a bug with a broom like oh it's up there now (laughs) (laughs) when i say there are some good sequences there are also some sequences like that where you're just like why is this happening yeah you're like oh there's so much i get there's so much effort going into this and you can tell like they don't look cheap no no it still looks you know it's still looks great why right so you know i think we'll see what the new film has to offer yeah you know maybe i hope it's great uh, hopefully if things don't deteriorate rapidly we'll, we'll see. see it in a theater <laughs> Possibly famous last words on that one. Yeah, Who knows? But we would love we would love to see it in a theater. It seems like the kind of movie that would be best mm-hmm. uh, on that. Uh, but I haven't read any reviews yet. I don't think there are any out yet. Who knows? I'm sure the embargo is yeah, crazy. Yeah. Who knows if it's any good? But boy, I sure hope it is. Yeah. Because even at their worst, these movies are interesting. Interesting. There's interesting ideas. They look great. Mm-hmm. I'll take a mess of a movie that is trying. Yeah. Over 
the cookie cutter fucking bullshit that we get today. They were trying their best and they pull off some truly amazing stuff Mm -hmm. in those sequels, even though the movies themselves don't fully congeal. But also they made an all-time masterpiece the first time Mm -hmm. around. So free pass from me. Yeah, forever. forever. (laughs) Holy shit. But uh, don't do the yellow face thing. Don't put put Hugo Weaving in yellow face for Christ's sake. You don't get a pass for that. But on on, like everything else. Everything else is good. You're good. So that's um, that's That's the Matrix. The Matrix. It's good. It's great. Go watch it. Check it out. So I think that is going to wrap us up for 2021. Oh, goodness. Yeah. We are going to take a little holiday sabbatical, Mm -hmm. come back with more 90s movies and maybe the occasional later movie if if it's a sequel. (laughs) Thanks for listening. It's been a fun beginning of the podcast. And every beginning has an end, as we learned in... And then uh, this is the final episode ever. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> it's not. Probably. Probably not. Probably not. But a little break. Little yeah, a little break, break while we enjoy we'll our, be back. our holidays. And we'll see you in 2022. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Bye.